Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 24. And if you've been with us for some time, you note that we are coming down to the final verses of Luke chapter 24. We've been in this book for quite some time now, uh, but thank you for your perseverance. And I trust that God has used his word in your life and in your walk with Christ, your relationship with him. Before we read the scripture and, and look at the word together, I want to just uh, just make a word, a, a word of explanation. You may have noted, I think I've given an explanation last week to tell you that we, uh, we meet together as pastoral staff each week and, and prayerfully seek God's direction in our worship time. And our desire is to glorify Christ and to please him and to be biblical in our approach to our worship together. And one of the things that we came, uh, came to the conclusion of by we trust God's direction is that we want to pray together more as, as a church family. And, uh, and one of the things that we uh, desire to do is to pray for our church family as well. And so we're going to, uh, each week, this, as the Lord leads, uh, to spend some time together in prayer over needs of our, our, of our body, as well as uh, sister, uh, sister church. We're going to pray for each week, as well as one individual family. Uh, within our church family, uh, and then also pray for at least one of our missionaries. And again, we're not doing this to lengthen our worship time, but just to truly be biblical in our prayer and to do so corporately uh, as we pray together. So I just want to make that word of, of explanation to you about why we're doing what we're doing in a desire just to join together. And as I pray, the way we pray corporately and the way it's more than just my prayer is that you are praying with me and agreeing with me uh, as, as we pray. And you may, I may mention a need and you may pray for a specific need that I may not be aware of as, as we pray together. So, uh, so let me invite you right now, if you will, just to join me uh, by bowing your head together as we go to the Lord in prayer and we remember some specific needs related to our church family as well as praying for our time in the Word together. Father, we thank you for this time of worship that we've already experienced together. We thank you Uh, Lord, even as we began this morning with prayer and the word, we want to thank you this morning for the opportunity to worship together as the body of Christ. Lord, this is something you've commanded us to do, but also, Father, something you've put in our heart a desire to do, to worship with the people of God and to focus on Christ in our time together and to be able to do something here that we're going to spend eternity experiencing and doing, and that is worshiping around the throne of God, around the Lord Jesus Christ. So we continue to pray. We, pr- we pray, Father, that thus far our worship uh, has been pleasing to you. That's what really matters is our, is our worship, Christ exalting, and are you pleased, Lord? So even now, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts that would hinder our worship, would you please reveal it to us? Lord, may we continue in a spirit of worship as we've opened the word together, as we read the word, as we preach the word. We pray that your presence, your glory will continue to be manifested in our midst today and that you will be glorified by our obedient response to the word of God today. 
Lord, we want to pause right now to pray or, or continue right now to pray for one of our sister churches uh, this morning. We pray for Big Creek Baptist Church this morning, Father, and we pray for uh, Pastor uh, Tim Hickman. Uh, Lord, we pray for your anointing upon him today as he preaches the word, and we pray for the receptive hearts of the people of God there at Big Creek Church, and we pray, Lord, that you will just, uh, just revive our sister church, uh, that you will continue to bless them and use them to impact their community with the gospel. We thank you for what you are doing, the good things we're hearing there. Uh, so may, again, Father, your, your body, your bride there called Big Creek, may they just be healthy and Christ-exalting, and may, may they lovingly obey your word today. Lord, we also want to pray for one of our church families. We pray for the Alley family today, for Austin and Janet and Michael and Sierra, Montana, Cheyenne, Elijah, we thank you for this family. I remember the first time I met them, Lord. I thank you for them. We want to pray, Father, for you to do a special work in them. Lord, we pause to pray for Michael, who's away in uh, the Air Force. Please keep your hedge of protection around him. Pray he'll be con connected with a local body that he'll honor and serve and love Christ. We pray for each member of the Alley family today, again, that they would know Jesus and love Jesus and serve Jesus with all their heart. Lord, we thank you. Even this morning, we heard the report on, on uh, Austin. Thank you for protecting him in the midst of a, uh, of a difficult situation there at work. Keep your hand of protection upon him. Bless him as a spiritual leader of their family. Lord, I, I pray you'll make it uh, continue to open the door for him to be able to be with us. Uh, Lord, if all, as often his work schedule prevents his from his presence, and I pray that he'll be able to be with us. And again, I just pray for uh, for Austin and Janet's marriage well, that will be healthy and Christ exalting. I pray they'll have wisdom uh, as, as parents to bring up their children to honor and know and love Christ. Lord, I also pray today for the hurting families within our church family, and continue to lift up. Uh, the Bargainer family to you, Brother Allen, and also uh, continue to be with April and, uh, and, and Mikey's father, David, all their family, Father. Uh, Lord, please pour out your grace on them, and may they receive your grace, Lord, and know that you are a good father and that you can work even this together for good in their life and, and Mikey's death. And I just pray you'll comfort and strengthen them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to pray for one of our missionaries right now, uh, missionary couples. Uh, John and Francine Draper, as Francine grew up here in our church. And I just pray your blessings upon them as now missionaries there in Wisconsin, as they lead in uh, the church planting effort there. I just pray, Lord, that you'll continue to bless them and use them. Give them wisdom, Lord. Give them power of the Holy Spirit. Give them um, encouragement today. No doubt it's a difficult work at times, but thank you for the fruit of what we are doing. Continue to provide the workers, strengthen their small and, and many new uh, churches. But Lord, may again they be fruitful in impacting Wisconsin with the gospel. Lord, we do pray for revival of Lucy Baptist Church, God. We pray for doctrinal purity, Lord. We pray for holiness in the lives of our membership. We pray for commitment of our church family to biblical membership and faithfulness, Lord. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for members of our church family who are under discipline, who are not under the word, God. Give us wisdom as we tr 
try to continue to seek out to, uh, to them and reach out to them and encourage them. Lord, uh, we just pray, Father, we'll be able to biblically restore them. And Lord, I also want to pray for some upcoming events. We pray for our Christian Family Conference on April uh, 21st, that you'll bless that and that our people will be committed to this and faithful to it and that we'll be uh, strengthened uh, as families and we'll be able to strengthen other families as a result of what you teach us. Father, we pray for our music and arts festival in May, and I pray our church family will support this as well and, and be a part of this. And more that we'll realize it's not about just music and arts, but it's about connecting with our community. And we want to connect with our local Lucy community and beyond. So please help us, uh, Lord, as we try to put this together. And we pray that you will again uh, bless this effort, Lord, in connecting with our community to ultimately share the gospel with our community, Father. So please bless this process. Lord, please, uh, again, we pray uh, that you will give us fresh anointing now by the Holy Spirit as we open your word together, as we preach the word, give illumination to the hearers, Father. And again, Father, bring conviction to the hearts of those who don't know Christ, awaken them to their need for Christ, to the realization that Christ truly is sufficient, even as we've sung today, and that Christ will truly become their very life. Bless this time we have together and be glorified in our obedience. We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Let me invite you then with your Bibles open to Luke 24. If you're able, please stand with me as we read beginning with verse 13. Luke 24 beginning with verse 13 and we're going to read through verse 27. 24, 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then the, the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger? And have you not known the things which happened there these, in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who, uh, who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And from this passage today, I'll bring a message entitled, Hope Lost, Hope regain. You may be seated. Someone said man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, 
Eight minutes without air, but only one second without hope. When Jesus died, the disciples of Jesus lost hope. Now we know as true believers, they still had the real hope. They were not totally without hope, but their attitudes were, were hopeless. Again, we see that demonstrated in this text that we've read to you today, uh, that they had no real hope in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, again, after the resurrection of Jesus, he remained on the earth some 40 days. And during that period, the gospels uh, record and give account to us of 10 appearances that Jesus made to his followers. And the one we've read today is the first appearance uh, that is recorded by Luke. We also know, of course, that Mary Magdalene uh, witnessed and, and saw the Lord Jesus, but Luke doesn't record that particular appearance. But on this particular appearance, as we see, Jesus appeared to two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus. Now, I will tell you, of course, this is not, are not two of the 11 remaining disciples, but these are followers of Christ. But again, as believers, we are called disciples. We are to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the, the village of Emmaus uh, was about seven miles uh, from Jerusalem. And I have a, a picture of it there uh, in, in your, your notes, as uh, we're going to see in a moment. This particular picture is one painting, was, is one that uh, is uh, a very famous painting of the way to Emmaus. In fact, about 30 years ago, a couple in the church we were serving then uh, who had a, a, a frame shop gave us this print. We have it in our home and have had it ever since. And it reminds me of one, I believe, this precious story in the Word of God. And Luke is the only one to uh, record this particular appearance of Jesus to these two on the way to Emmaus. Now, we don't know for sure. We're told one of their names was Cleopas. We don't know the other's name. And we're not certain whether it was Cleopas and another man, disciple, or whether uh, it was Cleopas and his wife. There are a lot, there's a lot of discussion about that. But since we're not told, uh, it's only speculation for, for, to be certain. Uh, and of course, they were leaving now. Remember that not only did we know the, the death of Christ had taken place, but it took place during the Jewish Passover feast. And so now they were returning back to their village of uh, Emmaus, about seven miles from the city of Jerusalem where they had been for the Passover feast. This was the end of the Lord's Day, the end of Sunday, the same day, of course, uh, we, we preached last Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday on the first day of the week, and they're on their way. And, uh, and I want to just say a word to you about this passage. Uh, it's a tremendous passage in the Word of God. It has tremendous implications for us as believers, not only in walking in hope as believers in Christ, but also much to do with the way we understand and study our Bibles, not only in this uh, part of, of Luke 24, but in uh, another text that we'll be preaching before we end the book. So I want us to look today at three truths about hope lost and hope regained. Notice, first of all, that Jesus reveals some characteristics of lost hope. He reveals some characteristics. Now, again, notice here that, that uh, these two disciples are discussing all that had happened the last few days. They were talking about what had happened and uh, related to Jesus. And, and as they were talking, Jesus just walked up and started walking along with them. 
Now, as we see in the text, they were unaware that it was Jesus. God did not allow them uh, to recognize the Lord Jesus, though he was in his glorified body and it looked like him, but, but the Lord uh, didn't allow them to recognize him. Uh, and so uh, this is uh, the process, and in this process, he reveals some characteristics about lost hope. He exposes, if you will, their hearts. Uh, he still works in our lives today to, uh, by asking some questions that reveal what's really in our heart. So notice these, these characteristics of lost hope, some, some of which we can identify here. First of all, there's an unnecessary confusion in their lives. We see that in verses 17 to 19a. And uh, so uh, to expose their hearts, Jesus asked them what they were talking about. And the text indicates that really they, they just, uh, they, they stood still looking sad. I mean, they were, uh, they were saddened by that. And the word here uh, for sad uh, can be translated puzzled or shocked or surprised. Now, they were obviously, as we read here, shocked that here was somebody who uh, had been in Jerusalem and hadn't heard about what happened to Jesus. They, they, you know, so they asked that question, are the, are the only stranger here, the only visitor? You hadn't heard about what happened? They were shocked about that. But obviously they were also shocked, they were also confused about why Jesus had died. They were confused about, uh, about these events because again, they had placed all their hopes on him. In fact, the, the word here says they were, we were hoping. And the verb implies here that they were hoping, but they were no longer hoping. In other words, even as believers, they had temporarily lost their hope, their expectation. And, and again, they, they, were, they were despondent, they were discouraged. They were disappointed. By the way, have you ever been disappointed in God? Have you ever been disappointed about what you thought God was going to do and didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen? Well, the reality is their hopes were, uh, were gone. And, and again, they were, they were, again, confused here because they were uh, and, and surprised unnecessarily. Because again, Jesus, as we saw last Sunday, had, had clearly told them more than one time that he was going to die and that he was going to be raised. And so again, their confusion, their disappointment, if you will, was unnecessary. It was unnecessary because they just hadn't truly believed what Jesus said. And folks, I want to tell you, we, we, all, we all face discouragement. We all face disappointments in life. But what we need to do when we face those times is just go back to what God said. And if we will take God at his word, that will clear up a lot of our confusion. That'll clear up even a lot of our disappointment because God is very clear. You know, I'll give you a quick example. Some people have the idea, you know, in life that, hey, I'm supposed, God is, exists to make me healthy and to make me happy and, and to just, you know, provide everything I want. Well, you know, if you have that idea about God, then obviously your ideas about God are not biblical. And so a lot of people have disappointments. They have confusion, if, they, if you will, because their, their thinking is not tied to the word of God. So there's an unnecessary confusion. If they just believe what Jesus said, they wouldn't have been confused. Secondly, there are unbiblical expectations. That's another, another characteristic, if you will, of their lost hope. 
unbiblical expectations. Uh, beginning there in verse 19, they, they really give a pretty good description as, as Jesus now in answer to his questions about what's happened. They tell Jesus about Jesus. Imagine that. They start to tell him, you know, about, about his life, his ministry, and his death. And, and they were right about those things. But then they went on to say, but, but again, we were, we were hoping. Uh, and again, their, their hope is lost because, why? Because they thought Jesus was going to redeem Israel. Now, what do they mean by that? The word redemption, uh, the word redeem here means to pay a price to gain the freedom of a slave. You know, they just experienced the Passover and what was the Passover about? It was about that, that lamb, wasn't it? Ultimately, that, that sacrificial lamb. And, and all throughout the, their Old Testament a Bible, they, they were taught that blood had to be shed in order to redeem. And so they should have been aware and reminded, again, of what Scripture said about redemption. But what were they expecting? They were expecting political redemption, if you will. They were looking for a Messiah who would, re, would give them freedom from Rome, freedom from Roman domination. But in, in reality, Jesus is and was and always will be the Redeemer, the only Redeemer, the one who was offered up as the Passover lamb to redeem us from our sin, to purchase our redemption. That's exactly who he was. They didn't have to be disappointed in Jesus. He did exactly what God intended for him to do. He had not failed. He had finished the work that God had given to him to free sinners from sin and death who turn from sin and put their faith in him. But there's a third characteristic of lost hope. And, and again, that's unbelief and doubt that they told Jesus in verses 22 to 24 about being amazed at the women's story that they had seen the empty tomb and that they had seen and heard angels who told them that Jesus was alive. And some of the disciples had gone, of course, Peter and John, and they had seen the empty tomb. They'd seen, as we said last Sunday, those, those empty grave clothes. And, and, uh, and so what the women had told them about the tomb was true, but they, then they added, but, but him they, they didn't see. They didn't see Jesus. And so the implication was that, that these two Christ followers didn't really believe their story either. They didn't believe the, the testimony of these, of these women. You know, remember that, as we saw last Sunday, the women in that, in, in that text were instructed to go and tell the disciples. Jesus, when he met with Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, he instructed her to go tell the disciples. So, and they, and they, reminded, they reminded them not just, not just to believe them because the angels said so, but to believe this testimony because it's what Jesus said. Jesus said he would rise. Just like he said he would rise, he has risen from the dead. He is alive. And so the real issue here is not that they didn't believe the women. The real issue is that they didn't believe Jesus. They didn't take Jesus at his word. That was the real problem. And that is the real thing that should have turned their doubt to faith, to be reminded of what Jesus has said. Dear friend, faith is not blind. Some people think of faith as a, as a blind leap in the dark. Absolutely not. Faith, as we saw last Sunday, as we consider those evidences for the resurrection, faith is the clearest vision of all. And, 
and more than anything, it's based on the Word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And again, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible tells us that Jesus died according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised again according to the Scriptures. So again, it's the Word of God that brings hope and that brings confidence, and we'll see more of that in just a moment. So again, we see these characteristics of lost hope. Where is your hope today? Where, where are you, what are you trusting in today? And, and do you believe God's word? Do you take God at his word? Second, if you will, Jesus reveals the causes for lost hope. Jesus reveals the causes for lost hope here in verses 25 and 26. And I want to remind you that Jesus' identity is now is still hidden from these two disciples. In the next message, we're going to see that he discloses his, he, he lets them know who he is, and we'll look at that. Right now, they still don't know that this is Jesus. And, uh, but Jesus then, but he rebukes these disciples. Now, I want to say to you, Jesus is not being unkind. And, uh, and we all, the Bible tells us that, that the faithful are the wounds of a friend, and that there's a place for us to be rebuked. And, and the, Jesus is lovingly, patiently confronting them in order to teach them, but also in order to teach us. Amen? And so we can learn from their experience as the Lord Jesus speaks to them and to us. So notice uh, a couple of causes here for their lost hope that he reveals. First of all, it is a lack of understanding of the Word of God. A lack of understanding of the Word of God. Notice what Jesus calls them. He calls them foolish ones, foolish ones. Now we know in, in uh, Psalm 14, one, the Bible says the fool says in his heart that there is no God. So these are not fools. They're not fools in the sense of an unbelieving fool who believes there is no God. In fact, uh, one, uh, Richard says that in five of its six New Testament occurrences, this word foolish ones is used in reference to believers. So I want to say to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, even as believers, we can be foolish. We can be foolish ones. Jesus can call us foolish ones like he called these, these disciples. How is it possible for us to be foolish ones? Well, again, the word here means distorted or a dull percep percep perceptive. Uh, it, this, this hindrance, or if you will, is described in Hebrews 5.11, where scripture says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You see, the way we can be foolish ones and, and, and can receive this designation by Jesus that we do not want to receive, amen, is when we are dull of hearing the word of God. When we are dull of of hearing. That, that phrase is used more than once in Scripture to describe the way people do not respond to the Word of God. Jesus also described them as being slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Again, this not only means slow to, to comprehend the Word of God, but it means to be slow to act on what we hear. It means, again, being just a as James described, a hearer, but not a doer of the word. 
You know, you can, and you, can act, you can go through the motions. You can act like you're hearing and you can nod your head and you can say amen. But again, if it doesn't change your life and you don't act on what God has spoken, you're being dull of hearing. You're being foolish. I'm being foolish if I do not respond in obedience to what God says. And these people that Jesus was addressing here, these two disciples, along with the rest, most of the rest of the disciples, were people who were, were, had a lack of understanding of the word of God. And it was because of their spiritual heart condition. Again, because they were being dull of hearing the word of God and responding and obeying the word of God. And what did this lead to? It led to their loss of hope, at least temporarily. And, and again, they believed some things about the Messiah, didn't they? Did they believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Did they believe in his miracles? Certainly they did. Did they believe, uh, again, that he was the son of God? No doubt. Did they believe, you know, that, that he uh, was the Messiah? Yes. But they didn't believe what all the word of God. You see, they were selective. And it's possible, and especially for an unbeliever, the Bible says in Galatians, for a person to, to have a, another Christ, a Christ, Messiah, other than the one the Bible presents to us. And so, so again, they wanted a Messiah that would reign. They wanted a Messiah that would overcome uh, Roman oppression. They just didn't want a Messiah that would die. And so they were having difficulty understanding that, which leads me to the second point. And that is the second cause is a lack of understanding of the work of Christ. A lack of understanding of the work of Christ. In verse 26, he says, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory. So Jesus goes on to explain to them, though they still didn't know it was Jesus, what they didn't believe here. When he says to them, you, 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 you want a savior, you, you, don't you realize that, that, that the Christ, the Messiah, had to suffer? Again, they, they couldn't accept that. They, they, this was not a part of their tradition. This is not what they believed. Reminds us sometimes of how we can be when we encounter something, even in the word of God, when we encounter something under the preaching and the teaching of the word of God, and we say, wait a minute, wait a minute. And I've heard people make statements like this. This just doesn't fit into my concept of God. That doesn't fit into what I think about God. You know what we're doing there? We're going even, we're, we're, we're disobeying one of the commandments. We're making our own God. And what we're doing is the same thing Jesus dealt with with these Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees throughout his ministry when they, when they had their ideas, their tradition, and they put their traditions above the word of God. That's exactly what they were doing. They were holding on to their tradition. And dear friend, we must, we must always be certain that our concepts are submissive and surrendered to the word of God and that we have a biblical understanding of things and we don't try to create our own theology. They wanted to have the crown, but they didn't want to have the cross. And Jesus made it clear that the prophets had clearly taught that he must suffer first. His sufferings did not disprove his being the Christ, but rather prove them because he fulfilled what was prophesied of him in scripture. It was also necessary that he die for our salvation so that he could be raised and then enter into his glory. And Paul describes that for us in, in Philippians chapter two, verses eight through 11. And because he suffered 
and we now enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, we also will share in his glory. Romans 8, 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Matthew Henry said he could not have been the savior if he had not been a sufferer. He humbled himself so that he could be exalted. This is again the pattern for the believer in our lives that we are to humble ourselves so that he can exalt us, raise us up to a, a level in our relationship with him that would otherwise be impossible. God's way up is always down. Thirdly, I want you to see Jesus reveals the cure for lost hope. Jesus reveals the cure for lost hope. First of all, we experience his cure for lost hope as we see Christ's supremacy in all the scriptures. See Christ's supremacy in all the scriptures. Once again, I remind you, Jesus is sp speaking to these two disciples, but they still don't know who he is. And so with his, his identity still unknown, he begins at Moses or Genesis, as we see here, through the rest of the books of the law, then on to the prophets. And the Bible says here, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The word here for interpreted is the word from which we get the word hermeneutics, which is the science of biblical interpretation. Can you imagine what that was like that day? One pastor said, I would gladly trade my seminary education if I could have been there on that road that day, hearing the Lord Jesus Christ go all the way back to Genesis and all the way to the book of Malachi. We hadn't gotten Matthew through Revelation yet, but all the way through the Old Testament and the Bible says in all the scriptures, he was, he was preaching to them and teaching to them. And by the way, uh, some believe, estimate it was probably about a two hour walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So they had a, the bulk of about two hours to hear from the Lord Jesus as he was going all the way through, uh, teaching them the truth about who he was. We're not told what all that included, but we can, we can certainly know there are many things that are told us in the New Testament that are, that are given to us, but also uh, as we go through our Bibles, we see a number of things, what likely would have been among those things that Jesus taught First of all, and I'll just mention a few, he, that, the fact that, that he was the seed of woman who'd crushed the serpent's head, as we sang about this morning in Genesis 3.15. That he was the ram, ram provided by God in Genesis 22.18. That he was the Passover lamb of Exodus 12. The scapegoat of Leviticus 16. The smitten rock of Numbers 20. The brass serpent in Numbers 21, the greater prophet of Deuteronomy 18, the captain of the Lord's host in Joshua, the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, the seed of David in 2 Samuel, the holy one who would not see corruption in Psalm 16, the suffering servant of Psalm 22, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, the wisdom of God in the book of Proverbs, the virgin born Emmanuel in Isaiah seven, the child born and son given in Isaiah chapter nine, the one wounded for our transgressions in Isaiah 53, the branch of righteousness in Jeremiah, the heir of David, heir of David in Ezekiel 34, the fourth man in the fiery furnace 
in Daniel chapter 6, the destroyer of the proud in Obadiah, the risen prophet in Jonah, the ruler from Bethlehem in Micah 5 2, the anointed in Habakkuk, the king of Israel in Zephaniah, the desire of all nations in Haggai, the lowly king of Zechariah 9, the pierced victim of Zechariah 12, the son of righteousness with healings in his wings in Malachi. And these are just a few, just a few, because he had two hours and you wouldn't stick around if I tried to preach that long to you today. So, but just, just see folks that this is what God wants us to see as we study our Old Testaments. We tend to be, and I've tended to be in much of my ministry, mostly a New Testament preacher. But dear friend, I want you to know, as Dr. Rogers used to say, this is a hymn book. It's all about him. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. And we need to recognize that too. In their book, Biblical Theology, authors Rourke and Klein wrote this. Simply put, you won't understand the message of the Bible unless you see that it's all about Jesus. They go on to say, From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus is the hero and the point of the story. What's more, you won't understand who Jesus is unless you understand the larger story that's all about him. Jesus is the interpretive key to the Bible, which means a careful Bible reader will find him in the beginning, middle, and end of the story. Now, you know, we're, so, a number of us are reading through our Bibles uh, in two years, and right now we're enjoying uh, the book of Exodus, but we'll be getting into some challenging uh, books and chapters over there in Leviticus and others. But let me just say to you folks, the, the longer you stay on the journey, the more you learn to see by the work of the Holy Spirit, the more you're able to see Jesus on every page. Amen. And I just want to challenge you to read your Bible and, and, and pray and ask the Lord to help you as you get into the word of God to see Jesus and to learn from him and see that he is the, is the, the whole point of the story in all the word of God. So see Christ's supremacy in all the scripture. But secondly, and, and briefly, seek Christ's sufficiency in all your life. This morning, we sang together that song, Christ, Jesus, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. And Jesus is all we have and all we need. In fact, in, in, in Colossians, as Hunter read from that book this morning, that whole theme of the book of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. And Paul was inspired to write in Colossians 2, 9, uh, 9 and 10, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And dear friend, Jesus is sufficient for every need of your life. And the more you learn to see the Bible that way and to see him that way, uh, the more the Bible will come alive to you and the more precious Jesus will be to you. And worshiping him and serving him is not merely a part of your life, but again, as scripture says, as Colossians says, Christ is our life. The word fullness here in Colossians 2 means the glorious totality of what God is in his nature, person, personality, character, 
attributes, and essence. And the beautiful thing about the Christian life is that the Christian life is the Christ life. When you repent of your sin, turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ as Lord and recognize him as the sufficiency of your life, he comes to live in you. And life becomes Christ, living and serving him. He is the totality of our life and he is all that we need. I began with a quote this morning. It said that man cannot live without hope. Well, in reality, the truth of the Bible is, is that without Christ, the Bible says in, in Ephesians, you are without hope. The Bible says those without Christ have no hope. No hope of eternal life in this life or in the next. And without Christ, we, someone said without Christ, we know only a hopeless end. But with Christ, we rejoice in endless hope because Christ is our life. Christ is our hope. Now, I want to say to you, the world offers false hope. The world will offer counterfeit hope. The world will offer things to you uh, to try to fill in that void in your life. But Jesus is your only hope. And if you've not repented of him, repented of sin, recognize that God is your creator and, and that you are accountable before him and one day will stand before him. If you've not come to recognize that, that you, uh, again, a, apart from him, will be separated from him forever, but realize that Jesus came as we preached and taught in these last few weeks to, to die on the cross, to take your sin uh, uh, and, and, and to die in our place on that cross. If you've not come to recognize that and repent and trust in Christ and Christ alone to save you, surrendering your life to him as Lord, then dear friend, we pray that God will awaken you today to your need for him and that you will turn and trust in Christ this very day. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper said God, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Are you satisfied in Christ today? Is he your sufficiency? Is he the source of your life today? This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions, or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.